Well, we continue our series of love letters from God. We start with reading John 3:16 as we do every week, and then we're going to turn to 2 Samuel chapter 12 verses 1 to 13. And I'm going to ask you to stand this morning as we read from God's word. John 3:16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. 2 Samuel chapter 12 verses 1 to 13 The Lord sent Nathan to David. When he came to him he said, There were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle. But the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he had bought. He raised it, and it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup, and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that had belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, You are the man. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you all Israel and Judah. And if all this had been too little, I would have given you even more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with a sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house, because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. This is what the Lord says. Out of your own household, I am going to bring calamity on you. Before your very eyes, I will take your wives and give them to one who is close to you, and he will sleep with your wives in broad daylight. You did it in secret, but I will do this thing in broad daylight before all Israel. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, The Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die. But because by doing this you have shown utter contempt for the Lord, the son born to you will die. Let us pray. Hide me behind your cross, Lord Jesus. Articulate the Father's heart through my voice and let the Holy Spirit breathe new life to us, opening our ears to hear the message of God. Amen. You may be seated. The story of David and Bathsheba, that's what this is. It's 2 Samuel sort of about the kings of Israel, but it's mostly about David. And as David is king, He comes to a junction in his life that's very similar to the moment that Saul had in his kingship, where he has decided that everything is working in his favor because of something that he's done. You see, when Saul did that, we talked about that two weeks ago in 1 Samuel, when Saul did that, 
God saw what Saul did and turned it, took the kingdom from him. And he did that because of Saul's response in that moment. And so here we have a glimpse of David's response in the moment. So let's talk about Saul's response. Saul's response was, all the people will see that I'm now a failure. That's a terrible thing. His response was out of pride. David's response was, I have sinned against the Lord. That's a different response, but it has to do with the position of the heart who is confronted with the sin. The Saul was confronted with sin and continued in the way he had been going because his only concern was how it looked to everyone else. David was confronted with his sin and repented. He recognized his sin for what it was, and then he said, I have sinned against the Lord. It's in the response that there's a difference in how God responds. God didn't let it go. God didn't say there is no repercussions for this. There were repercussions. But the repercussions were different. In Saul's case, God abandoned Saul. God left him. God took his blessing in the form of his presence away from Saul. In David's case, other things happen. He loses, he loses the right to peace in his kingdom during his lifetime. And he loses this son that will be born out of his adultery. Now, you may not remember exactly all of the details of the story of David and Bathsheba, but I'm going to tell you what happened. David became arrogant. He didn't go with his troops when they went to war, which was the very purpose of being a king. And instead, he stayed home. Like, he could just direct everything from over here. That's the arrogance that he had at that point. And he was probably right. He could actually lead from afar. At the end, the siege he sent his men on worked. And he defeated the enemy that was coming against them. But David should have been there the whole time. And it was because David wasn't there that it happened that when he was out on his rooftop, he saw Bathsheba. Now, you may have heard sermons or may have heard other people say that some portion of this was Bathsheba's fault. And I'm going to tell you it was not. She was a subject of a king. She had no power in this situation. All she could do was be obedient. 
she did tell David no, and he said yes. She was not doing anything wrong. All of the fault in this circumstance lies with David. David is the one who sinned. When he discovered that she was pregnant because she sent him a message to tell him that she was pregnant, then David's crime got even more complicated. Because you see, once you have one sin on your plate, it seems as though others start to pile on. And in this case, David now realizes he's got to figure out a way to make it look like Bathsheba's husband is actually the father. Otherwise, now Bathsheba's in trouble, right? So he calls him back from battle. Only Uriah is an honorable man. He calls him back from battle. He brings him into the palace and he says, I'm giving you a couple days off. And Uriah says, okay, that's great. So he went outside and slept on the ground outside of his house. Why? Because David asked him, like, uh, I gave you a couple days off. You can go in and sleep with your wife, right? That's what he wanted. He wanted Uriah to go in, sleep with his wife. Now it's Uriah's baby. It's no big deal, right? Uriah won't do it. Uriah sleeps on the ground in front of the house and he says, my men aren't able to sleep with their wives. My men aren't able to sleep in a soft bed. I'm going to sleep on the ground out here. Meanwhile, David has sent all of his men off to war and he's sleeping in a palace. You can see how this is not only just a... Uh, a, a matter of honor for Uriah in this circumstance, it is also a direct insult to David. He's basically saying, I'm not like you. Um, I'm a leader, and my men are out there sleeping on the ground fighting this war. I'm, I'm, not, going to, I'm not going to be better than them, uh, David. <laughs> right? Sort of, you know, it's... He may not have directly said it, but he was calling him out. And so Uriah won't sleep with his wife. So Uriah gets sent back to battle. And after he gets there, David sends a messenger. Because you see, David's still in a mess, and he can't see out of it. Right? It's just like when you start lying about something, when you start telling stories, you can't quite get past you have to tell another one, right? I mean, how many of you have ever had a little kid come to you and be like, uh, uh, you know, maybe you've told them, you said, oh, who wrote on this wall? Well, they're the only kid home. You know it has to be them. You go over and you say, why did you write on the wall? Oh, I didn't do it. They're like, well, who did? And now they have to come up with a story, right? Well, uh, Johnny came over from uh, across the street, uh, and he wrote on the wall, and then he left. <laughs> what? Right? That's what happens when you when you get stuck. When you get stuck in a lie, 
and you can't get out of it, you just keep compounding the error. You keep making it worse. And that's what David did. So not only now has he done this, now he sends word and he says, put Uriah on the front line. Not only put him on the front line, but now I want you to send him all by himself to attack the building, the the city where he's at. Have him go up, climb up on the wall. The messenger sends back and says, "Uh, you know that's a suicide mission, right? And David's like, "Um, yeah, I'm aware. That's what I'm doing, right? So Uriah dies. David marries Bathsheba. Now you might have thought that that was just an adultery story, really, that it was just about sex, but it's not. It's actually about arrogance and power and the abuse that can happen when you put yourself in a place of power over God. When you believe that what you've done is your work. He's in the same place at this moment that Saul was. Saul actually sacrificed to God and, and, and withheld doing something that God had asked him to do. But they're both in the same place. They're both in the same place. They both are believing that they are good. They're king. They're king. They can do whatever they want. When Nathan confronts David, David sees it. He sees where he has completely messed up. He wrote this psalm in response to it. Psalm 51. If you have your Bibles with you or grab a pew Bible and turn to Psalm 51, because if you read this, you can see the difference in David's response to Saul's response. Saul's response was, oh my goodness, all the people are going to think I'm horrible now. This is David's response. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you, and you only have I sinned, and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict, and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins. Blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, you who are God my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. 
Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. May it please you to prosper Zion, to build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in the sacrifices of the righteous, in burnt offerings offered whole, and bulls will be offered on your altar. Every word of this is David saying, I love you, God, and I screwed up. Renew in me a right spirit. Don't take your spirit from me. I need to stay in your presence, God. I screwed up, this says. And he did. He screwed up in a big way. And God says, your sins have been taken from you. Nathan tells David this. He says, your sins have been taken from you. Saul was told, you're done. David was told, your sins have been taken from you. The consequences, the baby dies. There is never peace in the, land of, in the kingdom of Israel the entire time that David is king. But his sins were forgiven. And his son, later, we read this also in 2 Samuel, his fourth son, I think they said, from this, uh, from this marriage between him and Bathsheba, goes on to become the king, the next king of Israel, King Solomon. Even out of things that we screw up so badly, so badly. And I know there are things, I know there are things in my life that I just don't get right. I imagine there are things in each of your lives as well. Things that you just don't get right. But man, when you come to God and you say to God, I know I'm wrong. I know I got this wrong. But search me. Know me. Cleanse my heart. Purge my sin. And he applies the blood of Jesus. And grace is greater than all your sin. You can leave it. You may still have consequences. There may be still things that you have to deal with because of that sin. Oh, but it's gone. You don't have to live in it. You don't have to be guilty about it. You don't have to have shame over it. You can be free because you have left that behind. When you turn your heart to Jesus and you say, Jesus, take me. Cleanse me. Create in me a pure heart and renew a steadfast spirit in me. 
When you pray that prayer, God does it. God's grace is enough for you. And he pours it out on you because he loves you. You can live in that. And you can let go of all of the things that you did before because they've been forgiven. That's an amazing place to be. So if you're here today and you have something that you are fighting against right now, it's okay. That's okay. But I want you to know you can turn it over. You can say to God today, renew a steadfast spirit in me. And God will do it. It's why we come to the table every single week. It's a response to the grace that God offers. It's a way of saying, renew Renew me. Realign me. Put me back in the right place. As we've done every week in this series, I'm going to remind you again of what it looks like to say that the love of God is found in every page of Scripture. What does it mean to say God loves? God loved us enough to create us, to form us from the dust. God loved us enough to let us fail, to let us choose our own way over God's, to let us chain ourselves to sin and defeat and heartbreak and sorrow and death. God loved us enough to provide a rescue, a way back, through wanderers, murderers, adulterers, defaulters, promise breakers, foreigners, strangers, and lovers. God loved us enough to show us mothers, judges, kings, and prophets who loved and spoke for God and kept reminding us of the promise of redemption. God loved us enough to show us how evil and wrong continually mess things up and how obedience to God fosters holiness and bestows blessing. God loved us enough to send us Jesus, the only begotten Son of God, to preach and live peace, grace, hope, joy, and love. God loved us enough to see Jesus rejected, to see him die, to see him buried. And God loved us enough to raise Jesus from the dead and send the Holy Spirit to remind us of all we have in him and empower us to live like him. God loved us enough to want us to live like Jesus, an abundant life infused with all the fruit of the Spirit, redeemed, free, loved. God loved us enough to still let us choose our destiny. And God loved us enough to promise the hope of forever, of resurrection from the dead, and judgment. God loved us enough. God loves us enough. God will always love us enough for God so loved the world God loves you God wants you to know it God wants you to live in it 
God wants you to be able to love others because you know you are loved. And God's love is expressed to us every week, most tangibly, as we gather at this table. The son who died and yet lives gave everything so we could know the depth of God's love. So come, drink the wine, eat the bread, know you are loved. God loves you. Go love the world with him.